Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time you are tuning in. Welcome to Homesteading and Gardening in the Suburbs. I'm Emma from Misfit Gardening and today I want to talk a little bit about moving towards um, growing more food at home and um, being able to rely more on the food that you have grown. Um, Because one of the challenges that we often face when we're trying to, you know, really supplement um, the food that we're buying from the grocery store is um, it doesn't always go quite to plan. And there's a few things that you can do as a gardener to try and help you through when things don't go right. So let's dig in and talk about some of those things. So step number one is having a plan because we need a plan for a successful garden when we're looking at really being able to provide food for our family. A plan is really, really important, right? What are we growing? When is it likely to be harvested? When are we going to be transplanting? Um, Knowing those days to maturity for the plants that you are growing is going to really help um, you kind of know and be able to figure out like the the space that's being used in the garden but also you know the the key bit really is you know when things are likely to start being ready for harvesting um for you and your family because you're going to need to be thinking sort of longer term when you're wanting to move more to you know really growing your own food and not relying on the grocery store because you know we're used to going into the store and you know if you want an apple there's apples year round but when you're growing it yourself apples are not available all the year round right so knowing what when you know pollination happens and when you can start to expect that first fruit being available is going to really help you figure out you know what are the gaps that you have in terms of food not being available and those when you are going to be abundant right now as i'm recording this episode it's you know in july so this probably is going to be going out in august but you know canning season is probably already here for a lot of you and that's really when you know things kind of get busy on the homestead is when you've got new plantings going in for fall but you're also harvesting things and you want to preserve them to make sure that you have enough to kind of see you through those times of the year when you're unable to grow things because of winter you don't have um, you know a heated greenhouse all of these things right so having a really solid plan is going to help you figure out like oh at this time of year usually between sort of December and spring that's like when there's not a lot of fresh produce coming out of the garden and then you can either start to plan to have more plants so you're going to have a bigger surplus that you can then preserve whether it's freezing drying canning you know what whatever method that you choose or um, you can look to be growing vegetables that have a quicker day to maturity, maybe looking at season extension to protect them so they're going to um, come in and grow a little bit quicker. Maybe look at some perennials because perennials tend to be um, coming up a lot sooner than the annuals. So for example, sorrel um, is a leafy green. It's part of the spinach family and it tends to have um, a very early flush of 
of growth and it's one of the first kind of salad greens that appear in my garden um, and that's because it's a perennial so it comes back year after year but it's something that my family kind of relies on now is like that's our very first um, spring salad is is sorrel but it also goes great in an omelette with you know eggs and you know there's lots of different ways to to use it um, but kind of knowing these things about your garden and when those gaps are you can really start to plan veggies that are going to fill those things so for example um, many of the brassicas but in particular purple sprouting broccoli obviously I'm English and that's very much a spring favorite in the UK um, but it's incredibly expensive but it's very very easy to grow at home um, especially if you're in a milder climate like the UK is because you would plant those in fall as transplants and then leave them in the ground and then come very very early spring they're putting in a lot of this like fresh growth you can eat some of the leaves you can eat you know the the little buds that are coming off um those are particularly good when they're steamed and dipped in an egg um oh yeah I do miss those <laughs> especially from you know fresh eggs from the chickens that we were raising oh they were so good um but you know purple sprouting broccoli is very much traditionally what was known as a hungry gap vegetable because it bridged that gap between you know really your harvests coming in in spring um, and the last ones that were coming through for winter so it, it's good to kind of do a bit of research around some of these traditional veggies um, and how they were used because you know more often than not there was vegetables that were being grown in that way for those reasons and often Often um, the varieties that are used in those kind of traditional fashions, they don't look pretty, right? They're not, you know, grocery store, you know, kind of model fashion, right? They're they're not, um, you know, ones that you would really readily pick out if you were at the grocery store, right? Because consumers want things that are uniform. They want it to be the same size, the same shape, same colors, right? They, they want that uniformity um, because that's, that's kind of how the grocery stores have conditioned us. But when you start to look back at these heirloom varieties, there's a lot more diversity that's there and things, you know, look a lot different. So beets, for example beets are a an amazing vegetable they keep incredibly well in a root cellar and the ones that keep best are these like ginormous roots um that look like i mean they look like something out of the enormous turnip which is a kid's book <laughs> um but but they're massive and um they kind of look a little warty and gnarled um but they keep incredibly well and they taste amazing um so you know if you're Want, really wanting to kind of get in and you know have food for your family you know year round and whether it's through kind of these traditional cold storage methods or you know some more modern um preserving methods like canning and stuff you know look at what some of these traditional heirlooms were and how they were being used because you can use that knowledge and you know try and get hold of those varieties to be able to you know really thrive in your garden for the next season now one of the other pitfalls that kind of happens when growing your own food is that um, we tend to only rely on one variety and um, as I was just kind of talking about having different varieties for um, different 
seasons or different uses um, is actually really really valuable in a garden where you're trying to grow your own food so let's take beets again right there's you know these kind of big old mangle storage beets right these these giant things but then there's also these really you know tender delicate baby beets that are perfect for salads and fresh eating so you can eat tons of the um, baby beets although you might not want to eat tons of them <laughs> um, but let's say you know you you've got like a, a really good you know successional harvest going of your baby beets but you're leaving your your big old storage beets right until you know very last minute where you're going to harvest them and then put them in the uh the cool storage you know before the the frosts get too bad and the ground freezes um but you're still able to enjoy beets throughout the season um corn is another one where there's different varieties right you've got your sweet corn but then you've also got your field corn varieties and your field corn varieties are very much things like your popcorn your flint corn your dent corn right ones that you use to make polenta or grits or um popcorn right lots of different uses but your fresh corn your sweet corn you want to be eating early so being able to um understand that there's different types and different uses of a particular plant and then knowing you know some of the other varieties that are available um you can really make use of not only having like a, a longer harvest season um but you can also then have corn for different purposes or plants for different purposes that are going to see you through different times of the year right you want field corn if you're wanting to be making your own tortillas for example right you're not going to be able to do that with sweet corn it doesn't have the right properties that are there and having an understanding of that um is really helpful when you're looking through those seed catalogs in you know fall and winter or if you're trying to be on a seed swap with somebody right knowing the difference between um the types of vegetable that you're looking for or you know even knowing the variety right because you've done a bit of research and you're like oh i really want this particular variety and um, that's going to really help i mean i've been on so many seed swaps through facebook and um people like very much know the varieties that they're looking for and i'll often say i'm looking for this particular variety of a vegetable um if anybody has it i'm willing to swap like these varieties of things and sometimes you'll get a surprise in there too which is kind of cool um but that's that's a really great way to be able to help diversify your garden diversify your seeds and you know be able to have a variety of things that are going to be coming in season um when your garden is growing right so you know back to what i was saying earlier knowing when those gaps are and how to fill those gaps and the way that you fill those gaps that you have in your plan is based on the number of days to maturity so how long does it take for this variety to grow and become you know ready for harvest and also you know the the space that you have available in your garden so knowing you know i have like these um I don't know like salad greens coming in and they should be all ready for harvest on I don't know let's say April mm, April 15th right um, they're ready on April 15th and then after April 15th you know I could let them continue growing so I could get a different harvest or I could you know harvest them 
all at that point and then I could plant something else into that space right add some more compost in and plant something else there that's going to continue growing like after the frost has passed and then that's a way that you can start to get more out of the space that you have by successfully planning and placing um, plants as they're getting ready so for example I could take out all of those lettuces and I could be putting in summer squash or winter squash right and really use that space for something else i could also re-sow um more quick growing vegetables in that same space and then i'm really using more of the space that's available to grow even more so knowing the days to maturity of what you are growing this is where the the power in planning really comes in because if you have these different varieties and you know the days of maturity for each of these then you can start to really hone in and plan and figure out you know what on these dates this is when i should be transplanting into the garden or sowing the seed and by this date this is when i should be getting a harvest and i have up to this day to be doing that and adding successional harvests right up until this point because after this point um, there's not enough days left between the frost um, starting again in uh, fall for us to get a successful harvest um, and this is really powerful and helpful for you to know um, because that's going to help you set your garden from being kind of like a hobby garden to really being able to supplement what you are growing and feeding your family with and it's also you know really helpful to know this because this is a good opportunity for you to kind of trial different varieties in the garden and keep really good notes in your garden journal um, because if you have a variety that is growing so much better um, then that might be one that you want to start to use more in your planning and rotation because it's a lot more reliable for you to be growing and it's definitely something you should consider saving seed from all right, so let's just recap. First of all, we're gonna need a plan. We need a very solid plan. We need to know our days to maturity of the plants that we're gonna be growing. We need to know what varieties and types are available and whether we're gonna be growing for fresh eating or for storage or preserving. Um, so there are some of the key, key points that we need to know. What else do we need to know to have a successful garden? Well, one of the things where we often fall down is not planning for um, pests um, for those of you that are in the Facebook group you will have seen the lovely cabbage that I had that had been eaten by snails and when you're trying to um, grow food for you and your family you really need to take into account that you, you, there is going to be some loss right in the garden you are going to lose some to disease some to pests right and then some you're going to be able to harvest so however many plants that you're planning per person you need to add an overage on there so you need to be planning and planting out more plants than what you're going to need to be able to account for that so for example let's take cabbages right and we're going to assume that you know we want one cabbage per person uh, for three weeks right so if that's a family of three then that will be uh, three times three right so now we know the number of cabbages and then 
what do you put like as an allowance for you know pests or whatnot well it kind of depends for that i usually like to plan an overage of like 20 maybe even 40 percent um so i would plan like an extra couple more plants um to be able to account for some of that loss um some seed companies particularly those who are supplying for market farmers they have um a rate of you know kind of expected uh, loss in the field um to then account for and they have these kind of fancy sheets that you can use to then plan an overage right it might be you know an 80 percent overage rather than you know a 40 percent overage but you can use those um, numbers to help give you a little bit of a guide in what you need to plan but this is why it's really important to take notes in your garden of what grows well and what doesn't and kind of how many things you've lost for um, you know plants growing or pests coming in and stuff like that because then you're able to really hone in on what your garden grows like and what the losses are for you because you know then that way you're not wasting seed you're using the very best that you have available um, and you're going to be able to make better use of the space that you have available as well if you're seed saving or planning on saving seeds to really kind of foster that full circle you know self-reliance um activity that we always talk about on the garden then you're going to need to be able to plan in the number of plants that you're going to want to be saving for seed and you want your seed to be coming from the very best plants right those that are you know clearly showing resistance to pests or diseases those that are growing really well and as much as you really want to you know pick that plant you really want to be leaving that one for seed and in a smaller kind of backyard garden you probably want to be saving seed from at least one plant preferably around five healthy plants so you need to be planning out that you're going to be saving seed from plants and make sure that you mark those too and um, because for plants that take more than one year to flower so things like the brassica family like kale cabbage um, mustards um, also carrots onions uh, leeks those kind of plants um you want to be making sure that you know they're going to be growing where they need to be without being disturbed too much um but also like mark them you know both on the plant if you can and in your garden journal like these plants are for seeds so you know you don't have a helpful family member who's coming out to harvest something you know for dinner and they end up taking you know the the prized cabbage um that you have been <laughs> saving seed from or at least planning on saving seed from right um you definitely want to make sure that you know you've got those planned into you know your overall garden plan because having that seed become available that's obviously going to reduce your alliance from the seed companies as well as you know you're building resilience within your garden right you're going to be planting those um, genes that are going to be a lot more suited to the area that you're growing and you're going to start to see that your garden is growing better and better and you're going to be starting to build your own land race and your own seed variety which is incredibly exciting um, to be able to do and I know 
There's people in the Facebook group who've got these really cool stories around um, their seeds so far. There's somebody who's saving seed from a lettuce variety that has done really well. There's somebody else who has some accidental um, cucumbers that were uh, planted by their goats. Um, I think that's such a great story. Um, I mean, I have seeds from a tomato vari uh, variety um, that I only grow at home and I don't, don't share, but it was one that was accidentally planted by my dog um, and you know it grew really really well and it's you know my dog um, that did that is no longer with us unfortunately um, so it's a funny reminder um, of him when when we see those tomatoes coming through but having um, a, you know a solid plan around your seed saving activities as well as you know your overall growing to move away from the grocery store is going to really um, help set you apart and help set you up for success in your garden all right so the other thing and this will be the final thing um, that I want to talk about in moving towards more of a um, garden where you're relying solely on what is coming out of the garden is um, that you need to plan and account for the right things growing in your garden and by that I mean you need to think about calorie crops you know, sources of protein, sources of, you know, calories, so carbohydrates. And you also need to account for, you know, vitamins and minerals. And you need to be growing a selection of these things that are going to be ripening at various stages throughout the season to be able to keep you and your family you know healthy but also be able to keep you you know away from needing to go to the store so for calorie crops it's things like you know potatoes rice um corn right things that are higher in starches but then also there's more unusual vegetables like jerusalem artichokes or sunchokes which are you know really good for a source of carbohydrates and, and calories um, although uh, you do need to eat them slowly at first and work them into your diet otherwise they can have um, some uh, unexpected um, gaseous effects we'll say <laughs> um, and definitely don't eat them before you know you've got like a, a hot day or a really important job interview um, because they, they do give you really bad gas if you're not used to eating them. Um, but they're a really great resource and they're something that's a perennial. They grow um, very readily in the garden. Like they're native here to America. Um, so they're dead easy to grow here. They also grow really easily in the UK and they're, they're a tuber and they grow like a sunflower they're part of the sunflower family and they'll send up these really tall like stalks and then towards the end of the season around um sort of late august um to september they'll have kind of like these sunflower like heads on them there'll be multiple flowers on there and then after the frost um that's usually when you can start to harvest the tubers and there'll be kind of a, a little sweetness about them um but you know when you're wanting to be growing food for your family and really moving away from um the grocery store you absolutely need to be thinking in terms of calories because you know Grains are not something that people really readily grow in their garden. Maybe they'll do, you know, a little patch of popcorn or some sweet corn and, and that's really about it. But, you know, potatoes are a very easy to grow um, plant, very, very... Um, 
you know, reliable to, to grow in most parts of, of the US. Um, you know, you'll need to be careful if you're growing somewhere that's humid, uh, whether it's cold and humid or hot and humid, because blight is obviously a problem in those areas where, you know, blight um, thrives on humidity and humid conditions. Um, but potatoes are a really great source. Um, you can grow them in containers as well as in the ground. So there's lots of ways that you can grow potatoes, but you don't just want to be relying on potatoes as being your only source of starches, right? You maybe want to think about having potatoes and sweet corn and a field corn and maybe Jerusalem artichokes and maybe you want to try growing your own grains which by the way you can absolutely grow grains in a small scale back garden it is completely possible um i think the trick really comes in being able to use the grains afterwards right growing the grains is easy um but it's being able to thresh out the seed and then grind them and and use them in in a way that's useful that's where the tricky part comes in and there's such a massive movement now to have like homegrown grains and people have been like growing these little patches of wheat and then making their own bread from it it's it's really quite exciting and because of that you're seeing more and more of these kind of smaller scale um threshing tools becoming available but also like mills and grinders and stuff i mean we have a a grain mill already because we use it to crush our own um grains for brewing right so the the malts and stuff um those grains will typically go through a crusher um like to kind of grind them up a bit and just break them open because then that helps to release the sugars in the malting and brewing process so um we want to be able to use that so we already have that because we make a lot of beer um although we haven't for the last years but maybe um after we move we're going to get back into into that um but yeah, having having those tools available um, obviously helps you to make a better use of what it is that you're growing. But things like rice, you don't actually need to be having a flooded field to grow rice. There's many varieties of rice um, that are called upland rice, um, which means that you can grow them without the flooding. And they grow in lots of different areas of, of the US and they're becoming a grain that is um, becoming a lot more readily available through seed catalogs. Um, I've got a couple of varieties of rice from a seed company in uh, upstate New York, um, for example, which I'm really excited to try in my next garden. I also have different varieties of wheat um, and um, barley and even oats. Like I love oats. I have oatmeal every day. Um, so growing my own oatmeal is pretty appealing to me. <laughs> but, you know, you do really need to think in terms of, you know, calories and what it is that your family is going to be eating um, and how you can grow a portion of that because you're not going to be able to grow all of it especially if you're in a suburban kind of setting but you could absolutely use it um you know to make a small portion of it and how great would that be having a dinner party and you know you've kind of grown your own bread and made it yourself from scratch and you know everybody's there eating this beautiful sourdough I was like oh this is amazing this is like the best bread like where did you get it from you're gonna be like I made it myself 
I grew it myself. But, you know, understanding that there are varieties of grains that you can absolutely grow at home. And here's the best bit, and here's, here's a real good tip for you. If you're growing in a more um, intense gardening style, you can absolutely use the grains that you're going to be growing as part of those um, cover crops and um, part of that sort of compost crop building that you need to do as part of that intensive gardening because what's going to happen with all that straw material after you've threshed off those uh, wheat seeds for example well it's going to go in the compost it's a great source of carbon you can then put something in the field uh not in the field in the garden bed afterwards right that's going to help replenish some of those nutrients that are lost and that's where the beans come in right and what are beans beans are a really great source of protein right they fix nitrogen in the air into the soil that then allows the plants to help use it nitrogen is responsible for that flush of beautiful green lush growth that you get so having a really good understanding of crop rotations as well as like what crops are going to be providing for your family you can start to plan like you know an appropriate source of food for your family so remember you're going to need some calories so that's your you know your calorie crops like potatoes um corn you know, wheat or rice, those kind of things. If, if you're growing grains, um, Jerusalem artichokes, right? You want to be growing those and you want to be planting those in. So you're going to have those harvesting throughout the year, right? So you want to be having early potatoes, mid-season potatoes, late-season potatoes, early corn, mid-season corn, late-season corn. Um, maybe that might be, uh, you know, early, mid and late sweet corn, but then also an early, mid and late field corn right that you can make you know hominy or tortillas or um, cornmeal from right maybe you want to have um, you know some of the grains coming in so maybe you're wanting um, wheat because you want to really want to make bread and maybe you want to do a trial patch of rice right but having those planned in and knowing kind of when they're expected to be harvested that's going to really help uh, protein sources we talked about beans right but legumes generally um so that's peas and beans um so things like garbanzo beans drying beans pole beans um peas field peas as well as um you know the normal kind of climbing peas um also things like lentils um you can grow lentils um from scratch um i've grown garbanzo beans or chickpeas for the first time in my garden and that was incredibly exciting um i can't wait to harvest those seeds and i'm going to um save a few to re-sow next year in my in my new garden um but i'm going to thoroughly enjoy those in a chickpea and lemon soup that i like to do um but yeah having having a good source of protein which is typically your pulses and beans um and working those in and you know you can have bush beans and pole beans and beans grow at different rates too obviously your soup and drying beans take a lot longer to mature because you let them dry on the vine but at the same time you can be growing varieties that are perfect for fresh pickling and you know if you like um, pickle green beans which we love um, but also fresh eating green beans and you know maybe mix it up and add in a couple of different varieties um, of beans that you're growing um, but maybe add in you know a, a completely different plant so maybe you've got your normal pole beans but then you're also trying some of those um, Asian long beans to grow 
or um, maybe you, you know, like I did, you're going to try growing garbanzo beans, um, but also you're growing your normal um, green beans or your drying beans like black beans or red beans or something like that. In terms of your um, vegetables and uh, produce that is going to providing vitamins and minerals now of course everything that we've just talked about is all going to be providing different vitamins and minerals but some of them are growing a lot more vitamins and minerals than others right so your leafy greens so we're talking collards kales cabbages right they're a great source of lots of different vitamins and minerals right they're a great source of calcium they're a great source of um things like vitamin k right they're they're full of lots of different nutrients that your body is going to need so you want to make sure that you're growing some of these vegetables as well as you know things for your your calories and stuff um, other plants that are really great for nutrients, um, obviously tomatoes, right? They've got a lot of nutrients in them, carrots, right? Things that are brightly colored often have a lot of really great um, phytonutrients. So those are nutrients that are produced by, by plants. Um, squashes, now winter squashes, particularly those that are like a, a really deep orange color on, on the inside in the flesh, they are a great source of um, carotenoids. So things like beta carotene, which is a form of vitamin A. Um, they're a really good resource for that. But the beautiful thing about winter squashes is that they're also a really great um, resource, like source of calories too, right? They're very fibrous um, and they have a lot of kind of starches and things in them. So winter squashes are a really amazing vegetable. And if you grow a different variety of winter squash so you grow one that is part of the curcubita uh, pepo family which is usually your summer squashes but also your field pumpkins they grow but they don't last very long in storage curcubita maxima which is the um the family of plants which like to um, grow these beautiful uh, different shaped squashes, right? You often see them as some of those um, turban squashes or the buttercup squashes. Um, also, you kind of get some of those kind of bigger pumpkin varieties tend to be a maxima uh, variety of squash. Um, those keep a bit longer than the pepo squashes um and they they come in such an amazing uh diversity different colors different shapes right there's lots of those that are available and then the final ones are the the moschatas so cucubita moschata and those are typically associated with things like seminole pumpkins butternut squashes um the uh crooknecks um like the is it Pennsylvania uh, crookneck squash? Um, those squashes keep the longest, and those have these beautiful, like deep, um, you know, firm flesh, which is really great for using in so many different recipes. Um, but it's it's got an added bonus, right? That it can keep like up to six months if you cure the skins of the squash appropriately. So if you're really wanting to still be having like fresh vegetables to be eating um, throughout that kind of the, the hungry gap, right? 
you really want to be thinking about the squashes that you have so if your muschatas will keep like up to kind of six months your maximas tend to keep around like th three months three to four months and your pepos will keep maybe a month right but having all of them kind of planted they're not all going to cross pollinate with each other they'll only pollinate within their families so the pepos will only cross pollinate with the pepos right the maximas will only cross pollinate with the maximas and the moschatas will only um, cross pollinate with the moschatas right those are going to you know help you have a lot more food that's available and using you know their properties on the back end to be able to have like fresh vegetables throughout the season so having a, a variety of plants that are growing is is really good for for you right it's good for um what's available on the plate and you're going to be getting that diversity of of nutrients as well as calories throughout your growing season and that's how you're going to be able to really provide like what your your body needs um, whilst trying to stay away from the grocery store. The other thing about growing that diversity um, is that you're going to be able to account for things like loss for pests and diseases right because you're going to have multiple things that are going to be growing at similar times and having that plan in place right um that plan that we talked about at the very beginning right of these are all the plants that we're going to be needing that my family like you know they they want to to eat these things um but also when these things are going to be coming into harvest right so you know if your first early potatoes are going to be ready in i don't know let's say middle of may what else is going to be ready to eat in the middle of may are you just going to be having potatoes or is there going to be peas that are ready at the same time because you plant planned those and planted them appropriately so they that they would be do you have some you know early greens that are available like is there kale available is there um some leeks that are available right having that planned in is going to be really helpful for you so you're not just relying on oh there's only one thing that is coming in the garden like what am i going to eat like i've only got this one plant plan and i really want to be able to be not going to the grocery store so let's let's have a quick recap of what it is that that we're going to need so we need a really good plan right really good plan for our garden what's going to be growing where it's going to be we need to know our days to maturity of our plants so we can plan when things need to be starting when they need to be transplanted and how long it is that they're going to be taking to grow and likely to produce a harvest we need to account for different varieties. So what is it that we're wanting to use? Are we wanting to eat this this plant fresh? Are we wanting to use it for storage on the back end? Um, are we wanting to use it for preserving? How many are we gonna be needing per person per week? right so that's really getting into the details of like how many plants that you need and then how many seeds do you need to be able to grow those because if your seed packet only comes with 20 seeds and you're needing like 40 plants then you're going to need to make sure that you get uh, more seeds right so having that planned in the space where is it going to be growing what's going to be going in after it and what's going to be growing before it and then making sure that you have a diverse amount of, of veggies that are growing to be able to supply calories protein 
and those nutrients. I hope you found today's episode helpful. Please let me know in the Facebook group what it is that you're planning on growing in your next garden and what your garden goals are. And if you've been growing to supplement your food this year, what it is that has grown the best, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I hope your garden grows beautifully and I will see you all next week.